The Lost Days. The story of survival in the zombie apocalypse. Welcome back. For those of you just tuning in, my name is Maria. I am an artificial intelligence specially designed and built by CPR, an organization that was founded in the year 2125 after the height of the zombie apocalypse. We are the Center for Preservation and Reclamation. My mandate is the parsing and dissemination of historical records from what is now known as the lost days of humanity. I will be bringing you individual accounts of survivors from the past 100 years in the hopes that this history will not repeat itself. Entry number five. <laughs> she's gone. I still can't believe she's gone. 15 years we've been married. 15 years. She's my entire world. And she's been torn apart by those things. I told her not to go out there. I told her to leave them. She couldn't help them. But that's the thing about her, Julie. She was always braver than me. And always, always put others' needs before her own. There wasn't a selfish bone in her body. So when she saw our neighbour being attacked on her driveway, she was out there without a moment's hesitation. I screamed and yelled at her not to go, but I'm such a fucking coward, I just froze. Terrified at what was unfolding before me. That thing was all over the old woman going crazy. It bit into her throat, flesh dangling from its mouth. I'd never heard such a blood-curdling scream before. Julie tried to pull the thing off her, but it was too late to save her. The old woman was dead. Julie was overpowered now, pinned on the ground. I thought she was gone for then, but she managed to find the strength to struggle free. This fight, if that's what you want to call it, continued for a while, till she pushed the thing back two or three steps, found a rock on the ground and picked it up, then smashed the thing's head in. It fell to the ground. As she picked up the rock again, fell to her knees and repeatedly smashed that thing's face into whatever it was died. <laughs> Julie got up. Obviously she was shaken and terrified and looked at me with such disappointment and disbelief that I just stood there and didn't do anything. She started screaming at me, rightly so, but I had zoned out and found myself staring in astonishment at the old woman behind her. I could have sworn I'd seen her foot twitch. I gazed in horror as the old woman started to get herself up on her feet. What the fuck was happening? Her throat still open, wound pouring blood. Julie, I shouted, Julie, fucking run, love! But the thing had grabbed her, and almost as quick as I'd yelled at her to run, it sank its teeth into her shoulder. Julie screamed in pain. 
The thing brought his arms round to her abdomen and just clawed at it and clawed at it, ripping clothes and tearing flesh. I saw things I'll never unsee. The look of terror on Julie's face. Blood pouring from her mouth as she coughed it up. Intestines pouring out of her stomach. <laughs> How the thing started eating them. Oh. I snapped out of my frozen state and knew I needed to get out of there. I just ran like the coward I am as far and fast as my legs could take me, which wasn't far. I went through some fields and ended up under a motorway bridge. I stayed there for a few hours, not knowing what I was going to do next. I figured I should try and go home, see if there was anything left of my wife to bury, to give her a proper goodbye and send off. I got home and walked up to the front door. She wasn't where I expected to find her. The door was open. I carried on into the house. There was a bloody trail on the floor. I could hear faint groans. I followed the trail into the living room, and there she was, standing in front of me, her bloodshot eyes, still full of disappointment, were staring blankly at me. <sighs> It was clear this wasn't my wife anymore. This wasn't my Julie. But it still resembled her. And I had to look away. I sobbed out loud. It was then she started towards me. I walked backwards as it quietly, slowly stalked me around the room. I found myself backed into a corner by the fireplace. The thing came so close to me, the stench of death on it was so unbearable that I wretched. The thing stared at me, and for a moment, I thought there was a hint of recognition in its eyes. And then it launched at me, tried to bite me, tried to rip me apart like the old woman had Julie. In that moment, I realised that if this thing got me, I'd die such a horrible, painful death like Julie did. But I was too much of a coward for that. If I was dying, it wouldn't be like this. I felt along the floor. To the right of me was the fire poker. I grabbed it and without thinking, just stabbed it through one of the thing's eyes. Just like that, it crumpled up to the floor. I sat against the wall, catching my breath, looking at the body in front of me. In death, this thing looked more like the Julie I remembered. I don't know why, but it did. I took her to the back garden, dug two graves, and I carefully wrapped her body in a bedsheet, placed it into the grave. I filled it in with dirt, then grabbed a bottle of whiskey from the kitchen. I sat by her grave a while, drinking, crying, saying how sorry I was for being such a chicken shit husband. <laughs> There's nothing more for me here now. Without her, life is meaningless. Tonight, I'll take a bottle of pills, lie down in my own shallow grave and let death take me. <laughs> the preceding audio was retrieved from a cellular telephone located in Northern England. The file was stored in the voice memo application. It was in good condition at the time of recovery. There were other recordings on the device, however this was the only entry pertaining to the lost days of humanity.
Entry number six. I remember it clearly now. The night that changed my life entirely. I remember it as if it were only yesterday. I was in the middle of my evening shift delivering pizzas for Gino's restaurant. Shift was slow and tits were few and far between. I'd picked up the extra shift to cover for one of our other drivers who'd been mugged or something earlier in that day. Besides, I needed the extra cash. which was due in a couple of days and I was a few hundred short. Spent most of the time sitting in the back of the restaurant, scrolling through my social media feeds anyway, becoming more and more uninterested with every flick of my thumb on the screen. The shift was unusually slow, and I was about to call it quits for the night. Then an order came in. It was a large extra cheese pepperoni to be delivered just outside of town. Now, normally we'd end our deliveries at the city limit, but the night being as slow as it was, Gus, the manager, decided we'd do it anyway. I mean, I wasn't complaining. I was bored, and the area I was going to was known to be one of the richer ones. <laughs> Might as get a tip, you know? <laughs> Maybe extra ten minutes worthwhile. So the pizza in a thermal bag jumped into my car. It was only about 9pm, but the roads seemed to be empty, which is unusual for a weeknight. Should have at least been one or two other vehicles out and about, you know, picking up kids from practice or something. I suppose looking back, I didn't give it much more thought as I continued on my way to deliver the pizza. See, there wasn't actually a delivery time frame since the whole 30 minutes or it's three thing had been lifted a couple of years ago. But we still wanted to make sure the pizzas were hot. Better tips. <laughs> the delivery route took me through the downtown core of city. Storefronts had all been closed up for the night and no one was really out. Well, except for... Uh, this group of young men fooling around in roughhousing. One of the men ran onto the road and stopped me. His hands on the hood of my car, he peered into my eyes and... I saw a look of fear on his face. Just as, he, as soon as he'd stopped, well, he ran away. The group of young men just chasing after him. I didn't know what to do. Was he in trouble or was it you know, just boys being boys? I had no time to sit and think. I just had to get the pizza there before it got cold. The remainder of the drive out of town was pretty much the same anyway, until I hit my destination. It was a large two-storey home, and the driveway was long and narrow. As it turned off the road and headed towards the house, I had this weird, uneasy feeling in the pit of my stomach. Something that felt like caution, but I just knocked it off to be gas. <laughs> lights in the house were all on and the driveway of two vehicles parked in the front. Parked my car directly behind one and got out to deliver the pizza. After knocking on the door several times and trying the doorbell, I checked my phone to see if maybe the order had been cancelled. But, of course, there was no cell reception this far out. It's when I saw a movement inside one of the windows. It was quick. Didn't really get a good look. But it meant someone was definitely inside and I could finally deliver this pizza. Get back to town. I mean, if I left now, I wouldn't get paid. Money would end up coming out of my paycheck and I wasn't about to let these assholes get a free pizza. So I just knocked again. Only this time, not louder. This time I got someone's attention, though. I could hear on the other side of the door running and then a hard thud as if something just smacked against the other side of the door. It startled me. It sent me staggering back, almost falling off the top step of the porch. 
not knowing what it actually was, I approached the door again, but this time with a bit more caution, asked if someone was there. The person on the other side of the door began banging as hard as they could, causing the door to vibrate, shake off its hinges. It was at this point that I decided that I'd enough, and I was leaving. I walked down the stairs towards my car when I heard the window behind me smash, shattered all over the porch. Looking back, I could see the body of someone crumpled up into a ball just underneath the broken window, but it didn't stay that way for long. It popped up, caught my eye just before it started running at me. It was hard to believe it, and I froze for a second before dropping the delivery bag and just sprinting to my car. The person was hot on my heels and I barely made it and closed my door before they slammed themselves into the side of the car. I thought they must have been on drugs or something, you know? Uh, I'd heard of some street drugs that turn people crazy like this, but I'd never seen it firsthand. The eyes were bloodshot, maybe just bloody. It was hard to tell and they had this crazed look on their face. They continuously pounded on the car window and even tried clawing at me through it. I just threw the car into reverse and sped back out onto the main road. I didn't care at that point what happened. I just needed to get out. I didn't want to get hurt. I drive back to town was tense and I white-knuckled the wheel trying not to hyperventilate. Played it back in my head what had happened and what could have gone differently. Even thinking about it now gives me chills. Finally regained cell service and called the restaurant but no one had answered. Tried calling my parents, who lived about three blocks away from me. Maybe they had heard something. But there was no answer there either. Something was definitely wrong. And it began to grow more and more obvious the closer I got to the restaurant. There were people out in the streets now. And the longer I drove, the more chaotic everything seemed to be getting. I sped up and turned into Gino's only to see the front window had been smashed. The lights were off, but... My headlights illuminating the inside, I could see movement. A group of people all crouched and huddled around something on the floor. The lights of my car must have grabbed their attention because one by one they looked up and saw me and stood to their feet. In that split second, I could see what they were gathered around was Gino. They had torn him apart completely. The group of people who had just done this then started a full-on run towards me in my car... I again threw it into reverse and jammed down the petrol. This time I wasn't so lucky and I slammed directly into a parked car, bringing me to a sudden stop, causing my side windows to slam out. With no time to waste, the group of blood-soaked killers heading towards me, I kicked open the car inside and began to run away. Looking back from time to time, I could see the group was beginning to grow slightly larger as I ran through the middle of downtown. My lungs beginning to... Uh, my lungs began to burn, my eyes to blur from running for out for almost two minutes. I knew I couldn't go much longer. I was about to give up and just let this group of killers catch me and do whatever they were going to do. But it seemed just as I had come to that conclusion, the deafening sound of gunfire popped right off to my right. I ducked down, took cover, burned a parked car as the bullets ripped through the killers closest to me. He appeared around the back bumper of a couple of times, but a couple of times to witness what, what was happening and see who it was with the guns. It appeared to be a few guys with assault rifles. 
They approached me before I could even thank them. They demanded to know if I was hurt or if I had been bitten by one of them. I guess I looked pretty bad at this point, but I hadn't noticed that I was bleeding from my forehead. I told them that I'd crashed my car, but those people hadn't got hold of me. Then I asked the question, what do they mean by bitten? <laughs> they didn't have time to explain as the group of killers got back up which I had thought at the time impossible after having, you know, shot so many times. But there they were, and we needed to get going. We raced up the embankment to the Paul's parking lot and into a waiting truck, sped out of there and down towards town and the mountains. Been two years since that night, and like I said, I remember it as if it were yesterday. The men who saved me were named Travis and Blake, and since that night we've been surviving up here in the mountains, far away from the towns and cities. We still too aren't too sure of the outbreak, what caused it, but we know now that something spread through our little town and across possibly the whole world. Something that causes people to come back from the dead and to make them crazed killers. They can't be killed like normal humans because they are already dead. But destroying the brain is a surefire way to make sure that they stay down for good. I, I'm, I'm not sure if anyone will hear this. Travis thinks it's a good idea to journal about our experiences in the hope that, that it might help me sleep better at night. <laughs> See, I can't... I can't get those blood-stroked eyes out of my mind. <laughs> the preceding audio was retrieved from a cellular telephone found at the bottom of a slow-moving river in eastern Canada. More data is being recovered from this device and will be made available as soon as possible. Entry number seven. It was like something out of a movie. The highways and ramps were full of parked cars, not a soul in sight. I pulled the stop behind the last car in the lane and got out. I was thinking to myself, what the hell's going on here? But somewhere deep down, I knew. It was only a matter of time until something like this happened. We could only mess with the laws of nature for so long before the whole thing would come crashing down on us. It happened before and it'll happen again if we aren't careful. After having a good long look around at the landscape of vehicles in front of me, I decided that it was useless to try to make my way through with the truck and that I would have to walk the rest of the way home. Home. Home was where my wife and daughter would be waiting for me. They knew the drill. I had literally drilled them on this just a few weeks ago. The test was to see how prepared they were for the catastrophe when I wasn't home. I usually do things of that nature right before I head out on a hunting trip especially if I'm going to be gone longer than a couple of days. Not to scare them, just to make sure that they've listened and learned the lessons that I've taught them over the past seven and nine years of their lives. My wife, well, she's a different story altogether. She refused to participate in anything to do with the end of the world or preparing for its eventual collapse. It was all too much for her to handle, so she chose to remain ignorant. That was fine, and in a way... That is why I married her. She was always the practical one. I grabbed my pack and rifle from the bed of the truck and began to weave my way through the obstacle course of cars, trucks, and motorcycles, being careful to watch my footing while traversing the more difficult places. 
I didn't want to twist an ankle or, worse, break something. As I made my way closer to the city limit sign, a building fire in the distance caught my attention. Thick black smoke billowing out of one of the top floor windows and no one around to put it out. The firefighters were most definitely preoccupied and would not be tending to those flames. The building was some sort of office complex that housed lawyers and investment banker types. They had all probably made it out safe anyway. Not my problem, I had to keep telling myself. My only priority at the moment was to get home safely to my family and get them out of the city. The sun was beginning to set behind a cluster of buildings a few kilometers away. I checked my watch and it was about 18.30 hours. It was pretty normal at this time of year for the sun to go down early every day. At least some things stay the same. The entire hike into town, I hadn't seen a single person. Well, not up close anyway. I did see a group of people walking in the distance about an hour ago, but that was about it. I needed to get off the highway in order to get to my house, but as I swung my legs over the guardrail at the side, I had my first encounter with one of them. I stepped softly onto the debris-covered grass, and on the other side I felt a hand reach out and grasp tightly to my ankle, accompanied by a gurgling moan. I will never forget it. I jumped in sheer panic, not knowing exactly what was attempting to capture me. I found myself rolling backwards down a large embankment directly onto the runoff ditch. The force with which the creature grabbed me made me think of a coyote trap I used to use back in the day with my old man. In fact, that was the first thing that came to my mind as I was pulling my leg away. I hope I didn't go get myself caught up in a trap. But of course, that wasn't the case. It was much worse. And I was about to find that out firsthand. Tumbling down the hill after me was what I can only describe as a creature direct from the bowels of hell. Its eyes were the first thing that I noticed as it began to claw its way toward me. They were sunken and bloodshot with some sort of film and dried blood was caked all over its eyelids and cheekbones. I was flat out on my back and a little dazed from the fall, but I had enough wind left in me to move quick enough so that this thing could not reach me. As I stood over it, staring down at this monster, I realized what it was. This was a man. A man who had no legs and a broken neck. His clothes, which at one point were probably a gray pinstripe suit, were torn and bloody. The stumps where his legs should have been were torn and mangled just the same. I looked down at this man and felt pity for him. The agony he must have endured. I picked up my rifle and headed on my way, leaving the man to his own fate. As night fell on the city, the building fire to my back lit up the darkening sky and the black smoke blotted out the moonlight. I could hear distant screams coming from everywhere, all around me but I took comfort in knowing that I was only a few blocks away from my house. Every attempt to contact the girls was met with a busy signal, or no signal at all. I didn't let that get to me. I had to stay calm and keep on keeping on, as they say. As I rounded the corner to my street, I was met with a bright light hitting me square in the face. The headlights of a speeding car racing straight toward me. I had to jump out of the way to avoid being struck. The red Dodge Caravan came to an abrupt stop when it collided with the street light located at the corner. The loud crunch of an engine block pushing backwards into the driver and passenger seats accompanied by horn blaring was loud and drawing unwanted attention. Up to this point, I had been extra careful to stay hidden in the shadows and make as little noise as possible. Sure, it took me a little longer, but as my old man used to say, anything worth doing is worth doing well. Being stealthy and staying below radar is somewhat second nature for me. I was just about to brush myself off and stand up when, out of the bushes behind me, a man came shambling toward me. With no warning, he grabbed at my arm to bring me in close. 
A woman came out slightly after he did, and then from behind me I heard the telltale sound of an accelerant ignition. You grow to love the sound when it's how you light your bonfire on July 1st every year. The crash must have caused a leak in the gas line and something set it ablaze. The man in the driver's seat began to scream as the growing flames began to engulf him. He was trapped in there and there was no way to help him. Besides, I had my own situation to deal with. The shambling man lunged at me again, but this time I was able to push him aside and kick the woman in the stomach to create enough room to run past. The burning man in the van continued to scream as he melted, and I looked back and saw a swarm of people gathering around and reaching into the flames at him. Slowly, his screams became less and less, until they were replaced with the sound of a burning vehicle and ten or so people moaning and growling. There was no doubt in my mind that these people had something wrong with them. I just didn't know what at the time. I threw the word zombie around in my head for a bit, but that was too on the nose. My luck couldn't be that shitty, could it? The end of the world and zombies being the cause? I had planned and prepared for most eventualities, but zombies were just too far out there for me to even come to grips with. It was more likely that we would be nuked by Russia or dropped into financial ruin by our shithead of a prime minister that have to deal with the dead coming back to life as flesh-eating zombies. But it seems like this is the hand we got dealt. The distraction of the fire and screaming was enough to let me slip away quietly without being noticed. Or at least I thought so. I wanted to avoid being seen from the other house on the street, so I didn't go directly to the front door when I finally arrived at my house. So I headed past it and down a small walking path between the houses. I loosened up a couple of fence boards leading into my backyard from a little patch of forested area behind my house and squeezed through, throwing my backpack and rifle ahead of me. The yard was pitch black and only the occasional moonbeam would illuminate portions of the back deck at a time. It was enough to see my way to the back sliding door, which had the curtain drawn and I knew would be locked and barred from inside just something I insisted on, and surprisingly my wife agreed with. She was thinking more practically, to prevent burglars and thieves from entering at night or when we weren't home. I knew it wasn't going to be open. However, my wife had a bad habit of leaving the kitchen window open just a crack to let a cool breeze in, especially during the fall. She loved the autumn wind and the fragrance in the air. I figured I could shimmy that open and squeeze through, and as luck would have it, it was open. I am sure, however, that I made a hell of a racket getting through that window, but I got through. The house was dark inside with no lights on and no sign of my wife and daughters. I moved quickly to the front window and peeked out the driveway. The van was still there, so they must be here. I heard a sound coming from the room down the hall, so I called out with a whispered voice. There was no answer. I crept my way down the hall, listening for the noise again and heard it. It was coming from mine and Susan's bedroom. I slowly came upon the door and placed my hand on the doorknob and whispered one more time. The noise on the other side of the door startled me. It was clearly one of those things with a low guttural growl. It slammed against the door in what I assume was an attempt to get through. I moved to the kitchen not wanting to turn any lights on. I relied on sheer muscle memory and found the largest knife we had. My hunting knife, as useful as it is, was tucked away in my pack, still on the back deck alongside my rifle. With the kitchen knife in hand, I gathered the courage to approach the bedroom door once more to face what lay on the other side. As I placed my hand on the door and took one deep breath, I heard the sweet sound of my daughter's voice coming from behind me. 
I turned to find the two of them standing timidly in the hallway. I dropped the knife and ran over to them, wrapping my arms around them and squeezing them tight. I told them I was home, but we would have to leave. They told me they had been hiding in the basement for the past several days, eating MREs and drinking bottles of water that I had stored down there. When I asked where their mother was, the look on their faces gave me all the answers I needed. She was in the bedroom. She was one of them. The girls and I loaded go bags with essentials, and while we did, the oldest told me of a man who came to the front door hurt just a couple of days ago. He had a bloody hand and was having a hard time standing up. Susan cautiously spoke to the man, but didn't let him inside the house. He said he was hurt and needed help, but she still refused. Susan tried calling 911 several times with no luck. It had seemed that the man had gone away, so Susan opened the door to make sure. But, as she did, the man popped out from around the corner and attacked her. He bit her on the shoulder, and she screamed for him to stop. After kicking and punching at the man, she told the girls to get in the basement. The girls did as she told them, and when the basement door opened after several long minutes, Susan was standing at the top of the stairs, bleeding. She told them she was able to get the man out of the house, and that all the doors were to stay shut and locked from then on. Susan hugged and kissed them both before locking herself in the room. That was the last the girls saw of her. They attempted a few times to talk to their mother through the door, but every time she would get angry and start pounding on the door. I crouched down to look my girls in the eyes. I told them that we were going to have to leave the house and that I wasn't sure when we would be back, but we could go to the cabin and make it like a mini vacation. Mommy wouldn't be joining us for a little while, but she loves you very much and wants you to say your prayers and brush your teeth every night. The girls agreed, and I could see a little doubt in my eldest's face. She played along for her sister's sake. I told them that I had to go say goodbye to Mommy and that they would have to stay downstairs until I came back for them. I kissed them both on the forehead and made my way back upstairs. I closed the basement door behind me and headed down the hall to say goodbye to Susan one last time. I won't get into details as it's no one's business but mine, but that was three months ago now. We made it to the cabin all in one piece and with a single MRE to share between us, but we made it. I had closed the cabin for the year, so there wasn't a lot here when we arrived. I've had a couple of successful hunts, and the rain barrel is doing its job well, so hopefully we can live out here for a while. The girls ask every now and then about their mother, and I have to make something up every time. I guess I'll have to tell them one of these days, just not today. I ran into a few of those things on my last hunt. I had tracked a deer I shot to a clearing, and by the time I got to it, they had torn it to pieces. They didn't see me, so I snuck away. I didn't think they would make it this far out, but I guess they're running out of food in the cities and towns. It might be time to move on soon. The preceding story was found in a handwritten journal. The pages were weathered and torn and in extremely bad condition. However, the airtight container it was found in preserved the document well enough to decipher. This document was located in southern Ontario, Canada on the corpse of a man with no identification. Entry number five was written by Juno Down. Entry number six was written by Ian Daniel and recorded by Beth Altrium. 
Entry number seven was written by Ian Daniel and recorded by Charlie Osborne of the Conjuring Oddities podcast. Go check him out at conjuringoddities.com. The theme music was written and recorded by Tony Lind at Tonescape Music. You can follow him at instagram.com forward slash T-O-N-E-S-K-A-P-E. If you or someone you know has a story to tell from the zombie apocalypse, we'd like to hear from you. Go check us out at thelostdayspod.com.